After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Cana, Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's son, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them, you do not have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did. And they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and plunged it into the sea. Since they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the, the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish. 153 of them, even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish, and this was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he had asked him the third time, do you love me, he said? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, when you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would, Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? If I wanted him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is, it that, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So this rumor spread to the brothers and sisters that this disciple would not die, yet Jesus did not tell him that he would not die. But if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? The word of the Lord. Thank you, Lisa. Good morning, everyone. If I haven't met you, my name's Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity, and uh, one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life was to go on the taco tour last year, <laughs> the Battleship Taco. It will change your life. Um. So this morning, this, this is my uh, end of the summer sermon. 
Our kids started school this past week, so alas, summer is over for us. And this is my last sermon that I'll be preaching in this series. I'm going to have a couple weeks off uh, from preaching to prepare for our, our fall series. So Pastor E.C. and our pastoral intern, intern David Ta, uh, they'll be preaching the next couple weeks. And this is an introduction to our fall series, which will be on First Peter. Here's a story about Jesus and Peter. Now, I'm going off schedule. This is not in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you look at the, uh, the graphic on your bulletin cover up there on the screen, I am a rule follower. I like structure, so it's very hard for me to do this. But this week, as I was spending time in prayer, uh, it was my... Uh, day-long, silent Sabbath prayer retreat, I came to this text in John uh, 21. It's in our Bible reading plan, CBR, if you're still following along in that Bible reading plan. So I was, I was reading, I was meditating, and I was praying through this passage, and I just sensed that this, this Sunday, I needed to hear this. And I think for many of you, you need to hear what this passage has for us. Uh, to me, this is one of the most powerful and transformative stories in all of the Bible. This summer, speaking of our series, our series, uh, Why Follow Jesus, we've actually been in the summer um, on this series, and we began this uh, in spring after Easter. But this summer, we've been talking a lot about rest because of the passages and the texts in Matthew. And because we encourage you, especially the past two summers, and I've encouraged all of you this summer to see uh, summer and this season as a season of rest, to take advantage of, uh, for those of you who have uh, kids in school or if you're in school, to, to rest, uh, to take a break from the busyness and to be renewed. So with that, we've been talking a lot about our weariness talking a lot about our burdens, our restlessness, heaviness, anxieties, places where we are bruised and broken, places where we feel like we are burning low or maybe even burning out. And when we hear Jesus, like we saw a few weeks ago, He says in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I know for me, and I know from talking to a lot of you, you are like, yes, <laughs> Jesus, I want that. More, more than anything else, in many ways, I want that. Can I have it? We've been talking about what we've been seeing is before we can uh, take up the yoke of Jesus and find rest, there's something that we have to do first. Kids, this is a family service. I'm going to ask you throughout the service, maybe, maybe to, to draw some pictures. Okay, draw some pictures of the story that I'm going to share with you. And you can draw this picture. Maybe it's familiar to you if you started school of a backpack. Can you draw two backpacks on the outline? That's easy. Do that. Draw these two backpacks. With Jesus, when he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, take my yoke upon you, uh, in order for us to experience the rest 
that He promises us. First, we have to lay down some really heavy backpacks that we are carrying. When I was in school, there was like a myth that was spreading. I, I looked it up. I Googled it. So I know it was a myth now. Uh, but uh, people, <laughs> kids' backpacks are getting way too huge. Maybe some of you have like a giant backpack. It like weighs more than you do. So that if somebody just like taps you, <laughs> you'll fall over. You'll fall backward. But in, when I was in school, everybody was getting worried about that. And they say, kids are getting scoliosis from giant backpacks. So we have to stop this. But we now know that, you know, it's... It doesn't cause scoliosis, but it can make things worse. It can make you feel heavy and burdened. It can make you feel like you can never rest because you're wearing this giant backpack on your shoulders. Friends, for us, I know this is true for me, there are things we feel like we have to carry. It's like we're carrying these giant backpacks. And Jesus says, you have to lay those things down in order to come to me and find rest. This morning, I want you to see through this story how Jesus ends two of the biggest burdens we carry. And then I want you to see what he doesn't ask of you and what he does ask of you. This is what Jesus did for Peter. And what happened in this story, the story we just read, it changed the entire trajectory of Peter's life. As I spent time in, in this all week, I believe that if it wasn't for what happened here, I, I think this is true. I don't know if, if Peter would have been a follower of Jesus without this. I think he probably would have walked away from his faith, or maybe he just would have settled to live stuck and burdened, a restless and broken man. He definitely would not have led the early Christian movement. He definitely would not have written the letters that he left to us. And he would not have ever found his place and his purpose in the world and with God. But the good news is that he did. Because of this, Jesus ended for him two burdens. And Jesus asked of him one thing. Let's look at what that is, what those things are this morning. First, we need to know a little bit about Peter's story. A lot of you may know about it. Kids, you may know a little bit about Peter. He was one of Jesus' closest friends, his three closest companions when Jesus was alive. Peter was one of them. And the Gospels tell us that Peter saw and heard things that no human being had ever seen and will ever see except three people, him and James and John, John who wrote what we just read. Uh, Peter was a leader. He was probably the leader of the 12 disciples. He was brash. He was sometimes impulsive. He was overconfident. Instead of being a ready, aim, fire, Peter was ready, fire, aim kind of guy. And in Jesus' last hours, before Jesus went to the cross, Jesus made it clear to Peter. He says, guys, he made it clear to all the disciples, this is it. This is why I came. This is the most intense, the most important time in my ministry. And as things were getting intense, Peter turned to Jesus and he said, 
Lord, if everyone falls away, I will never fall away. He lived in a lot of comparison. He thought he was different, right? He thought he was a cut above everyone else. He said, if it's going to get intense, I will be able to handle it. I will never fall away. Jesus said to all the disciples uh, in John, he said, you guys, you don't know exactly what's happening, but you can't follow me to where I'm going. And Peter said, no, maybe they can't, but I will. I will follow you. I will die for you, Jesus. And some of you know what happened, though. At Jesus' most important time in his ministry, at his greatest time of need, Peter utterly failed Jesus. He couldn't stay awake when Jesus said, can somebody please pray for me? Peter fell asleep. And even more than that, when people started asking Peter, Peter, you're, you're one of those followers of Jesus. You know him, right? He denied it altogether. When Jesus was taken, being interrogated, people asked Peter three times, do you know him? And Peter denied even knowing Jesus. So when Jesus rose again, you can understand if Peter had mixed feelings. He's alive. It's all true. It's all starting to make sense now. But also at the same time, Peter was carrying such a burden of guilt and shame. He was supposed to be a leader. He was supposed to be a friend. He had sworn to Jesus. Then he let him down. Have you ever let somebody down so bad that you couldn't even look them in the eye? Kids, kids, have you ever had to say I'm sorry to your brother and sister or maybe to your parents? But it's so hard to even look them in the eyes. Maybe once, all of us at least once. This is the story of how Jesus met Peter there and restored him. So there are two burdens that Jesus ends. We're going to spend most of our time on this first one, but we're going to look at two. The first, the first thing Jesus did to restore Peter was to deal with the burden of failure that Peter was carrying, the burden of failure. Here's what happened. Look at verse 2 in the story with me. There are, there are at least seven uh, of Jesus' disciples, of the 11 disciples left. They're at the Sea of Galilee. It's also called the Sea of Tiberias. That's where Jesus said, "Go meet me there. He had risen from the dead. He said, meet me there in Galilee. So in verse 3, Peter says what? I'm going fishing. Now we might say, that's no big deal. He's just passing the time. He's hungry. He needs to have some food, but I think there's a lot more going on here than just that. Earlier, Jesus had appeared to Peter. To all the disciples, he said, as my Father has sent me into the world, so I'm sending you. You are sent on mission. But as one commentator says here, what's the impression that we get? What we see here is the disciples and even Peter as people without a purpose. Peter says, I'm going fishing. He's got the gone fishing sign up in his life. 
what's going on here. I think we're meant to see that Peter is still carrying the burden of guilt and shame. He had messed up too bad. It was over for him. To be a part of Jesus' team, maybe even to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus at all. Now, where do we get that from? Well, look at where he is. He's at the place exactly where he was before he ever met Jesus, before he ever knew Jesus. He was a fisherman by trade, and so Peter's like, I'm going to do something I'm good at, something I know, something where I don't feel like a total loser. I'm going to go back to being a fisherman. Verse 4 says they were fishing all night, right? But what happened? They didn't catch anything. And Jesus is there on the shore. How long was Jesus standing there on the shore? We're not told. I like to think that he was probably standing there all night watching. And in the morning, he calls out to the disciples. And in the Greek here, he uses like a slang term. So it's like lads. That's probably like the British slang term. I don't know. But it's like, hey, homies. Hey, you didn't catch anything, did you? And they didn't know it was Jesus, so that's probably a pretty annoying thing for them to hear while they're, they've been fishing all night, and they're like, no, <laughs> thank you for asking. What does Jesus give Peter? Is Peter wallowing in his failure? He's just looking for a little win, just a tiny success, just a fish. What does Jesus give him? More failure. Lesson here. Jesus lovingly frustrates our attempts to cover our failure, our shame, and our guilt with anything we do, anything we are. But Jesus says to the uh, disciples, try over there on that side of the boat. You'll find some. And they did. And what happened? This huge haul of fish. We're told the exact number. And everyone tries to figure out why 153. What is that all about? No one knows. But think about this, if you caught the biggest haul of fish that you ever caught, what would, what would you do? You'd count it, right? So you could brag about it and tell the story afterwards. So it bears uh, the mark of authenticity, 153 fish. Right when the, the haul came in, the Apostle John says, it is the Lord. And what does Peter do? It doesn't really make sense. He says he's like, he got dressed so he could jump in the water. It doesn't make any sense. But he's impulsive. He's rash. He jumps in the water. He puts his clothes on and he runs to the shore to Jesus while the others calmly just row in. But what was he thinking? He was probably thinking, well, here's my chance. Here's my chance to say, I'm sorry. Here's my chance to look Jesus in the eye. But as far as we're told, Peter doesn't open his mouth. Maybe it was just too hard. What he had done, how could he look Jesus in the eye and say, I'm sorry, Lord, I failed you. I denied you three times. We don't, we're not told Je- uh, that Peter said that. I think it was too big, it was too hard for him to say the words. But look what happens here. Jesus has everything laid out down to the tiniest little detail in order that Peter might be completely restored. All Peter had to do was run to him, and Jesus did all the rest. Look at this. First, 
Peter, or Jesus called Peter by the very same sea. After Peter had fished all night, Peter had caught nothing, and Jesus said, try over there. And Peter and his friends brought in a huge haul of fish. That was the first time Jesus had called Peter. And in verse 25, when he speaks to Peter, the name he uses, Simon, son of John, the only other time Jesus called Peter that, that name is in John 1.42. When Jesus first saw him and said, Simon, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas or Peter is the translation. And then look at verse 9. Tells us this little detail. The disciples came up and they saw a charcoal fire. Kids, you can draw a charcoal fire if you know how to do that. It's another picture you can draw because it's a very important part of this picture. Where is the other time a charcoal fire is mentioned by John? It's in 1818. It says there was a charcoal fire where Peter had warmed himself while Jesus was being interrogated. It's the place where he had denied Jesus. Just as Peter had denied Jesus three times, so Jesus gave Peter the opportunity to confess his love for him three times and called him back to leadership three times. You see what Jesus is doing here? He is recreating the scene of Peter's original calling, and he's recreating the scene of Peter's great failure all at once. Why? Jesus is saying, Peter, I know what you did, and I still love you the same as when I first called you. What's happening here is Jesus is enacting the gospel for Peter so personally, so powerfully, so that Peter would never forget this. That he would never forget this so that he could replay this over and over again for the rest of his life. So Peter would finally get it because, you see, Peter's denial stemmed from his complete misunderstanding of Jesus. His complete misunderstanding of the gospel. Peter had said to Jesus, I will die for you. You won't die for me. He told Jesus, when Jesus said, here's what's going to happen. I need to die. He said, God forbid that you ever die. And Jesus had to tell Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter had it so wrong. When the soldiers came to Jesus, Peter took out a sword. He said, it's time to fight. Peter thought this, I don't need a suffering, weak, dying Messiah. That is a failure. I need a victorious, strong, successful Messiah. For that Messiah, I'll do anything. I'll prove myself strong and successful for that Messiah. But what happened? He couldn't. He didn't. And he failed. And now he was finally ready to understand the gospel. Jesus said to Peter, do you get it now? It's not what you will do to prove yourself to me. It is not what you will do for me, but what I 
will do, what I have to do for you. Peter, and what you saw is my defeat and weakness and failure, the cross. It's your only hope. I had to die. This was the only way for your sins and the sins and the failures of the entire world to be lifted. I had to bear them. This completely changed the life of Peter. From the one who said, I don't need a weak Messiah. I need a strong, successful Messiah. I'll do anything for that Messiah. Peter completely changed and turned that upside down. And he lived by this. For the Messiah who suffered and died for me, even though I had failed him, for the one who loves me that much for that one, I will do anything. That is a gospel-driven life. So Jesus enacted. Do you see how he enacted this for Peter so Peter could never forget it? Because what happens to us in our failure? If you're like me, this is something that I do often. What do we have on replay in our minds? We replay our failures and our mistakes, and it's like they just keep going over and over again. I still remember there was a church softball game that I was a part of, and I made an error in the outfield, and I feel like, I don't even want to tell you that I did that, but it's so, I'm so ashamed of it. I can see it in my mind, like, why did I not catch that fly ball? I just replay it over and over. Sometimes after I'm done preaching here, I'll replay the sermon and go, oh, I missed it. I could have done that. I should have said that in that moment. I'll just hit replay. Maybe you can identify Jesus is showing us here, for every repeat of our failures, our mistakes, our weaknesses, and our sin, replay the gospel three times over it, ten times over it, a hundred times over it. Replay that. Because Jesus ends the burden of our failure. It's why He came, it's why He died, it's what He bore. And we need to hear this. To make it as clear as I can, I have a few application points. What does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus ends the burden of failure? It means, first, we don't have to carry our failure. And without this, what would have happened to Peter? We can only imagine Peter could have spent the rest of his life either trying to earn Jesus' love back and to prove himself, I am better than this, I can earn it back, or he would have just been stuck in his failure, unable to move on. And some of you who are carrying failures this morning, you're in one of those two places. You're trying to prove yourself or you're stuck. Here's what I want you to see. For Peter to hold on to his failure and to keep carrying it after this would have been the height of pride. It would have been an act of prideful disobedience. I know it's hard for you to hear if you're in a place where you're carrying the burden of failure to be called out on your pride, but you need to hear this. Holding on to failure is a sign of pride because what are we saying when we do that? I should be better than this. I am better than this. How could I have done that? How could I struggle like this? Peter's pride was shattered 
by this failure. He had said to Jesus' face, I will never do that, and he did it. Just like Peter, we vastly overestimate our strength and our goodness and our ability, and we vastly underestimate our weakness, our susceptibility to temptation, the inevitability of failure, and the kind of failure we will experience. Just like Peter, we need to hear this. You are a sinner who fails, who is weak and sinful, more than you dared ever imagine. So welcome to reality. Welcome to the fallen, broken human race. And until we really believe that, we will vastly underestimate the love that Jesus has for us that is ours by grace alone. We don't have to carry our failure. Run to Jesus with it and put it down. We also don't have to fear failure. If Jesus is number one choice for his movement, to lead the movement, if he failed, if he had such an epic fail, and he was lovingly pursued and restored by Jesus, what does that mean for us? Well, first of all, it means expect it to happen. It will happen. We will fail. But we don't have to be afraid. What do we fear when it comes to failure? We fear that on the other side of our failure, all that it means, that we will feel worthless and unacceptable, that we will be nothing. We will be useless. Jesus says here, no. No, that is not true. Don't fear it. Guess what is waiting for you on the other side of your failure? Me. Grace. Humility. A truer view of yourself and a bigger view of me. Don't fear it. I have some things I want to say to our families. This is a family service. Kids, you will fail in life. There will be epic fails in your life, and it will hurt. It will hurt bad. But Jesus does not anywhere say, if you fail, it is over. You need to know that. He says he will never fail you. You don't have to live with fear of failure. You don't have to carry that pressure. That's why Jesus came. Side note, important side note for kids, your parents will also fail and fail you too. Parents, your kids will fail, and it's okay. Your job is not to save them from failure. Jesus has already done that. To keep them from failure, to allow no room for failure, is to allow no room for Jesus to do what he did for Peter right here. You will fail as parents too, but Jesus will never fail your kids. We don't have to fear failure. We need our failures. Did you know before his failure, Peter was unfit to lead others? He was unfit for what Jesus had called him to do. But after his failure, he had something now that he didn't have before. What was it? He had the love and the grace that Jesus had for him in his greatest failure. 
in his weakness and sin. He had a greater sense of his own sin and brokenness. He had a shattered pride. He had a broken spirit. He had a crystal clear, complete experience of the love of Jesus for him despite his failure. That's what he had. So now it's Peter's failure that qualifies him to be a true shepherd. His prior self-confidence and pride led to his great downfall. And Jesus actually, we know, allowed this to happen in, the other gospel, in one of the other gospels, Luke Jesus says, Peter, I want to tell you something. Satan has requested permission to sift you like wheat, to shake you. And he said, I told Satan, yes. And we're all like, what? Why? Why would, why? Why would you allow Satan to do that? Why? Because I turned the tables on failure, Peter. I will use it so that out of it, your love for me will be more real and more strong than it was ever before. You will have a deep humility and you will love others who fail with compassion and with care like you never would have if this didn't happen. Let me show this picture. This is from the artist Raphael. This is the scene of, um, of the text that we're reading and looking at. There's a lot going on there, but there's Peter um, on his knees in the leadership position of the 12, of the 11 at this point. Peter's the only one there on his knees in the posture of humility. Without his failure, Peter wouldn't be kneeling. He would be standing in the front, still in his self-confidence and pride. But here, because of this, he's fit to lead because he leads on his knees. We need our failures. Fourthly, failure changes our definition of success. In verses 18 and 19, there's a kind of a, a mysterious remark that Jesus rem uh, makes to Peter, and John interprets it for it. He says, Jesus wanted to tell Peter what kind of death he would die so that he would glorify God. He says there, when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. This is an allusion to how Peter would die. He would die suffering death, crucified, a martyr's death. The very place then of, of Peter's greatest failure became the place of Peter's greatest success. The one who could not even admit to knowing Jesus when Jesus was suffering out of fear, out of a sense that Jesus had failed, this person would suffer a death like Jesus and be crucified like him. And this would be Peter's greatest success, suffering, giving his life away to show God's greatness and God's glory, not to prove his own and not to win his own. A successful life is a life that displays the greatness and the glory of God. Peter learned that in his failure and by putting his failures down at the feet of Jesus. There was another burden, something that led to Peter's failure in the first place, something that fueled and fed the pride that led to Peter's downfall. What was it? This is our second sub-point. It's the burden 
of comparison. Look at uh, verses 20 and 23 through 23. If you look at this part of the story, it almost seems comically out of place. It could have ended right here where Jesus says, Peter, follow me. Boom, end of story. That's a good Hollywood ending. But in verse 20, they're walking. They had this incredibly significant moment together, and Peter turns around, and what does he see? He sees John following them. And when Peter saw John there following him, he said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to glorify you by dying. I'm going to be crucified. I mean, that's pretty weighty stuff. If Jesus said, here's how you will die, you would be like sitting in that for a while. He turns around, he sees John, he says, what about him? Like, what? Seriously? <laughs> Jesus says, if I want him to remain, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. <laughs> that question, what is that to you? What a question. What is that to you, Peter, to compare yourself to other people? What a question for us. What is it to you when you compare yourself to others? When you see yourself as better than or less than other people, what is that to you? At the heart, is it not how we measure ourselves and prove our worth? Is it not how we justify ourselves? comparison. We don't like doing it. We all want to be free of it, but you cannot be free from comparison simply by saying, I'm not going to compare myself anymore. I'm just going to be true to myself. It's just not that easy. It's not that. It's not possible. Our entire culture, our entire uh, economy is built on comparison. When an ad runs or whether you see an Instagram post or a Facebook post, you see people who are happy and they're good-looking and life is so good for them, and everything's awesome, and they're driving a sweet car, and they have a great house. Can't help but go, I want to be like that. <laughs> Why is my life not like that? That's how I need to be. Comparison is like the fuel underneath all of our capitalism. That's a different sermon. But our hearts, our hearts are looking for some way to find our worth and to find our place in the world, so we compare and say, I'm better than that person, I'm better than those people, but I'm not as good as those people. I'm worse than them. The only way to end the burden of comparison is if our identity, who I am, and our purpose or our calling, why I'm here is so firm and so settled and so secure and so strong and resilient that it can withstand times when we fail. It can keep us humble when we succeed. We can be compassionate on those who struggle and fail, not rejoicing in their downfall. We can rejoice when people around us succeed, not making us feel insecure. That can only be found in Jesus. Those who respond to Jesus' love and follow Him can say, Yes, I am more flawed, I am more sinful and broken and fall more short than I ever dared think or I would ever want to admit. But yet, in that, I still have my identity secure in Him. I am more loved than I ever dared imagine. And Jesus can use me, calls me, 
to follow him. Do you see what Jesus is doing here for Peter? He's releasing Peter from being John. So he can be Peter. Peter and John, they will serve God. They will write for God. They will do so many different things in so many very different ways. Read 1 John and 1 Peter. Very different. Following Jesus will take them to very different places. That's okay. That's more than okay. That's two people secure in their identity in the gospel, the love for Jesus, living very different lives and following very different callings. Until we hear Jesus tell us, I release you from being fill in the blank. We will live under the burden of comparison, the crushing weight of comparison. We may have days where we feel good and we're doing good and we say, look at me, things are okay. But most of the time, we'll feel like we're never measuring up. There's always someone doing it better, has more and looks happier. Jesus says, I came to end that burden. A few applications for our families. Christian parents, can I say this to you? Let us not set the direction of our homes in the limited time that we have with our children on earth out of comparison to others, other families, other parents, other kids. The pressure is huge. Social media, every conversation you have with another parent, when they say, here's what my kid is doing, and underneath it's like, well, what is your kid doing? The pressure is huge. Oh, your kid is an all-star. Your kid has a 4.5 GPA. Your kid plays the piano, and they actually can write computer code at the same time. <laughs> you say, well, what is my kid doing? It will never be enough. Comparative parenting and living is too big of a burden for you and much too big of a burden for our kids. Let us tend the sheep and feed the sheep God has given to us according to His call. For us, and for them to find theirs in Jesus, not just for our sake, but for the sake of the world. Kids, I want to tell you some things that Jesus will never, ever say to you. He will never say, you're not as smart as, you're not as cool as, you're not as beautiful as, you're not as good looking as, you're not as fit as, or athletic, or talented as whoever. Jesus will never say that to you. He says, as for you, follow me. He made you who you are. He says, as for you, follow me. Let me close with this, the one thing that Jesus asks. What does Jesus ask us not to do? He does not ask us not to fail or to make up for our failures. Jesus does not ask us to compare ourselves to anyone else or his call on their lives. He ends those burdens. What one thing does Jesus ask? It's kind of a trick question. There's one question Jesus has and one final statement. His last question is, here it is, three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? At the end of the day, friends, to Jesus in Christianity, only one question matters. 
the one who loves you says, do you love me? Do you love me? That's the one thing Jesus wants to ask you, to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything else is secondary. Jesus' last words, the last words in the Gospel of John, he says to, uh, to Peter, as for you, follow me. As for you, my friends, as for you and your failures, the ones you carry, the ones that burden you, the ones that you won't let go of, the burden of comparison that drives you, that crushes you, as for you, will you put it down? As for you, will you let Jesus end these and follow him? I'll share just a final story. It's um, a story of something that happened when I was on my prayer retreat um, on Monday. There's a place I go, there's a hill, and uh, I've gone there for like 12 years or more, and it's a place that I go to pray and reflect on that hill. There used to be a cross that was a huge cross standing on that hill up, and since um, a number of years ago, it's fallen down, and there's all these plants and things that grow around it. So I've, I go up there every time I go to this place and pray. I was standing up there, and um, while I was praying, I saw a hummingbird. And so this hummingbird came, and I was just just being observant and just watching, and you know a hummingbird. Their wings, <laughs> they just like so fast, you can't even see it. And he was coming near to where the cross was and all these brown weeds around it, and I was just looking at this hummingbird and going, man. Must be tiring to be a hummingbird, flapping so hard, like. And so he was going around the cross, and all around the cross were these weeds, and he was he was trying to find the place to land. And so he was landing on these like flimsy branches. He was like, and he just like, no, not that one, not that one, not that one. He was going all around this cross, this huge cross that's lying on the ground. And I just kept thinking, hummingbird land on the cross. Rest on the cross. None of those branches are going to hold you. None of those branches can lift you up. If you look to find rest, to end the burden of your anxiety and weariness by resting on your success, friends, or resting on the comparison of your life to others, those branches will not hold you. You'll be left flapping even harder, going from branch to branch looking for rest. There's one thing that Jesus asks us. Land on the cross. Rest on His love. As for you, follow Him there. Rest on Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you've come to end these burdens that we carry, these giant packs.